Welcome to another Co-op Conversations podcast episode. Each episode features different guests from various parts of the world. Through these conversations, you'll learn more about housing cooperatives, whether we're speaking to people who live in a housing co-op, work in one, or are simply introducing the concept and benefits of community-led housing in their city. I'm Julie Lapalme, Secretary General of Cooperative Housing International, or CHI. I deliver CHI's work program, which includes communications, education, knowledge sharing, governance, and collaborations. CHI is one of the sectoral organizations of the International Cooperative Alliance, which is a global apex body representing all types of cooperatives. CHI raises awareness about cooperative housing by promoting its successes on a global level. We also facilitate networking opportunities via knowledge sharing events. If you go to our first podcast episode, we explain housing cooperatives. If you want to learn more about the different types of housing cooperatives or find out more about the work we do, please head over to our website at housinginternational.coop. Today, we talk to Anna Jokic, who is currently on an island in the Adriatic Sea. Anna is an architect based in Belgrade and Rotterdam, with over 20 years of experience pioneering unconventional approaches to the challenges of contemporary urban development. She is a founding member of six different civil society organizations or collectives, including two housing cooperatives and one energy cooperative. I like to add a fun fact about the city that our guest is from. So since Anna lives in two cities, you're getting a bonus fun fact. We'll start with Belgrade, which is the capital of Serbia. Belgrade is one of the oldest cities in Europe with settlements continuously existing here for at least 7,000 years. This would explain why over the centuries, Belgrade has been known by 15 different names. It also has more than 100 caves, canals, tunnels, and passages that tell the story of its connection to various empires and states that ruled here over the ages. Now moving over to the Netherlands, Rotterdam is the largest seaport in Europe. One of the most popular gathering points in Rotterdam is the impressive Market Hall, a huge office complex that opened in 2014. It's nicknamed Koepboeg, or Horseshoe, and it's an architectural marvel with the soaring arch ceiling of its food hall covered in a larger-than-life mural of vegetables, fish, and other produce, celebrating the fact that the market itself is a kaleidoscope of fresh and prepared foods. So today we have Anna Jokic. It appears that Anna has cooperatives in her DNA. Her grandmother initiated a women's weaving co-op in rural Serbia, which is documented in a short film called Best Husband. Your grandparents were also members of a few cooperatives, including a herbal production and processing co-op. And I watched this documentary and was fascinated by how this women's cooperative held a best husband contest, which was not only a fundraiser, but also raising awareness about gender equality. So how aware were you about cooperatives growing up in what I would imagine to be a very different Serbia from the one your your grandparents knew. Do you feel like you're carrying your grandparents' legacy into the 21st century? Uh, thanks for this question. Um, maybe the last one is a bit difficult. I hope I'm carrying their legacy into 21st century. Uh, uh, although I have to say that I have rediscovered uh, the fact that my grandparents have established actually two cooperatives only 10 years ago. Uh, I, I have been aware of this since my birth. I mean, since I was a kid, I have been spending a lot of time in the women cooperative. My mother has been also working there uh, as a designer for the textiles that were made in the cooperative. Uh, and it was a part of my daily life. Uh, but somehow 10 years ago, uh, I got an invitation to participate in an exhibition where uh, curators were uh, quite excited about hearing on a, on a random occasion, actually, about the story of my grandparents. And they asked me to revisit uh, their legacy. And uh, my partner and me, we spent uh, a summer in 2010 going through their archives and actually going through the process of how they have established these cooperatives. And this has been a quite revealing and interesting experience of finding out actually the spirit of that time and not just the traces of what it was later on. 
so that was quite exciting. Yeah, and uh, I know there there are photographs and images of of your exhibition online as well. We'll we'll add the the links. So, when did you start seeing the possibilities for housing cooperatives um, to address the housing and affordability in Belgrade? That was around that time. That was also 2011, 12, when we started to think in that direction. So yeah, it somehow overlaps. Uh, we have a different focus than they had at that time, but uh, in some way a similar spirit and both their cooperatives and the uh, things that we have started in, in Belgrade are pioneers in their own time and in their own context. And you, you live in two cities. You live in Belgrade and Rotterdam. How does the cooperative model uh, fare in these two cities? Um, specifically, housing cooperatives have been, in a way, forgotten in both contexts. And that was a, an interesting part of a research that uh, I have been doing also as part of my PhD, uh, which I did in Sweden. And uh, what I have discovered, uh, or or actually in a constellation with different people we have discovered is that cooperatives have started in a housing cooperatives have started in let's say in a similar time end of 19th century in both contexts but then they had their very different paths and in the Dutch context uh, housing cooperatives uh, have been uh, really uh, the door opener for social housing policy later on in the beginning of the 20th century when the a new law or a first law on on housing in in 1901 was uh, was made uh, and where the cooperatives have been taken up as a form not just uh, made by citizens uh, but also the cities were uh, promoting and initiating housing cooperatives uh, and in Serbia housing cooperatives also started somewhere in the end of 19th century and then they took during the socialist period from the 60s, 50s and 60s of the 20th century, their own part that provided about 8% of housing in socialist Yugoslavia, where the dominant model was the societal uh, property in terms of housing. There was part of the private and this societal property, but uh, housing cooperatives also made a portion of, of housing and they stayed somehow unrecognized or even today uh, not seen as a, as a way of providing housing. So in some way we are bringing this tradition, not I would not say back, but uh, through a different door, let's say, again into a focus as a possible alternative to the market-oriented way of provision of housing today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the, the, the market method isn't serving everybody that it should be yes, serving. exactly. So you, you co-founded Stealth Unlimited in 2000. It's an internationally active spatial practice whose work is situated between future fiction, spatial intervention, and the politics of possibility. Stealth Unlimited is also described as constructing a future that is yet to be. So what should the future look like? Uh, and is Stealth Unlimited on, on the right path? I hope so. I hope we are on the right path. But, uh, well, Stealth started uh, as, a, as a basically from a research project, uh, which uh, was done somewhere in the end of 90s, beginning of 2000s, and which was looking at informal development of Belgrade at that time. And we were interested, the city was because of the circumstances of the uh, ending a violent ending of Yugoslavia, a lot of movement uh, between different parts of Yugoslavia, a lot of people also coming to Serbia and to Belgrade, uh, economic sanctions, uh, really very bad economic situation and collapse of institution. Actually, uh, the informal construction of the city was uh, quite picking up at that period. And we were interested in this, not uh, just as a form and, and what was like uh, materializing in space, but also in somehow in the genetics or the DNA of this process or how did people actually, what was the process? How did it get there? 
and uh, in this uh, this became this let's say interest in uh, in small people doing things on the ground was something that uh, has been carrying our work from the very beginning and uh, very quickly we became interested not just in in individuals but connection between these individuals and where individuals become networks and where networks become some kind of um, let's say coordinated activity of people in the in terms of pro producing space and this is this is the part which opened many doors for us and in many initiatives that that came out later on this was the let's say the caring uh, spirit spirit that we carried on um in, in this interest of uh connecting uh individuals into collectives and if we speak in how is the future now what is certain is today and was not maybe certain 20 years ago we, we, when we started is the climate collapse which is the thing which we are all i guess confronted and worried about and on the other hand uh, is there a capacity collective capacity uh, of of people uh, without big coordination of government to confront this and this is something that we are in a different formats addressing from writing uh, making exhibitions about this also making future fiction about these issues and always we somehow start from our own experiences and our initiatives that we are part of as some kind of uh, coil from which we go on into, let's say, imagining how this future would be and hopefully how we can survive in it because we think that the future will be rough and tough uh, for many and that collective way of organizing is a direction that could help people actually in difficult times that are ahead of us and that's where cooperatives are also important. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've been yeah I've been thinking about and and it's interesting that you're you mentioned the climate collapse because you know when we talk about you know language and vocabulary to describe what's happening you know like we we've definitely moved away from you know climate change which was a term that was coined by you know the fossil fuel industry and you know so renaming it is you know is acknowledging you know the seriousness seriousness of it. Um, you know, but but people are still not not wanting to incite any kind of panic. It, the language is still very soft. You know, like we call we call it a climate emergency, but you know, like hearing you say climate collapse, I, you know, maybe in different parts of the world, you know, the language is different too. But yeah, like I, you know, the the language needs to be more severe to reflect, you know, what what it is. And, and I just finished reading a book. I've been reading a lot this summer. <laughs> um, and I just happened to have it on my desk because I want to photocopy one of the chapters. It's called On Time and Water. Mm -hmm. And it's a, an Icelandic author. His name is Andri Snær Magnusson. And uh, he went to, like, you know, he, he's a, a, an activist and, and a writer. And he went to, um, you know, some kind of scientific conference and one of the scientists asked him, like, why he wasn't writing about the climate collapse. And his response was, well, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, the scientist responded, well, you're a writer, you're a storyteller, you know, you can share this information much better than us, you know, through through your stories. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a hard book to read because it, you know, it is, you know, it's opening. I mean, sometimes we kind of just bury our heads in the sand because it's too scary. And, you know, so when you read a whole book about it, it's really like bringing the reality, you know, forward. Um, but yeah, the reason why I want to photocopy the, one of the last chapters is that, you know, it, it does end with some optimism. Yes. Um, and yeah, I really, I highly recommend this book. Like I, I'm like all the books I read are from the library, but they're, you know, and then I think, okay, this is a book I want to buy and then like, just give it to somebody, you know, it's like, it's, it's really worth sharing. There is a similar book called Uninhabitable Earth published by a New York Times journalist, he published an article under this title and then it provoked a huge discussion. I think it was three years ago. And he exactly went into these uh, uh, terms that are used and actually that we need to use a term like collapse because it much better explains what is really going on. And, um, but the book is, the, the other book is also hopeful or gives, let's say some direction to think of and actually capacity for us to think that this is not unsurpassable, that we can organize ourselves to go through or to change 
our behavior, uh, but it really demands a serious action. And somehow between this capacity of collectives and also the need of government is where we are somehow split because I think that a lot of individuals really want to make change, but we need on a, on a, on a global level uh, and governmental level also big change. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, we need to change a lot faster for sure. In 2010, you founded Kogadigrad, which means who builds the city in response to the urban developments in Belgrade characterized by corrupt and mismanaged privatization of public resources uh, and that the city must be inclusive for all those who make up the city. So can you tell us more about Co-Gradigrad and, and some of its initiatives? Why we started the, the organization is that there were a couple of reasons. At that time, uh, my partner, Mark, uh, with whom I started Stealth and me have been a curators of uh, Tirana Biennial in Albania. And we have spent the previous summer in a, in a, in a research uh, uh, in the cities around Albania, also in Belgrade, but in a number of cities. And we have been comparing how in the year since the start of uh, global financial crisis in 2008, September 2008 until September 2009, the cities in the region have been changing. And we have noticed a very similar pattern in all of these places the privatization of public resources, also the corruption that was mentioned, uh, uh, use of public, uh, let's say, uh, land land in public ownership to turn it into pri big private developments. And uh, what, uh, what we also realized partly to that, that that was a period where the first uh, initiatives, local initiatives, mainly young people, and uh, some of them also architects, like let's say from our profession coming, have been involved in confronting these projects. And, uh, and we have been inspired by this. We came to Belgrade and started to talk with, uh, with a friend who was at that time working in a local cultural center called Rex. And she pointed to us uh, another person, Marco, who was at that time a student of political science. And uh, we uh, put forces together and organized the first event, which was called Who, Who Builds the City with a question mark and trying to answer these questions. And a very, uh, in that, it was a really amazing response and a lot of interest in the topic. And from there on a number of uh, new and other organizations started to deal with this issue, which I think is really a big achievement of also of us somehow starting something. And uh, two years uh, ahead, we have uh, decided to not just be a platform that would give a space to others to take, uh, talk about issues and to connect, connect, make connections between different organizations, but to start uh, tackling issues that we found no one is tackling, and that was issue of housing or unaffordability of housing itself. And that's how our interest or our direction in the cooperative housing uh, started. And um, maybe we'll speak about that a little bit later, but. Uh, something that came out of this, uh, of the series of, uh, let's say we had the monthly meetings where we were trying to articulate what is a collective solution to the unaffordability of housing. And after, uh, I think uh, three, yeah, three years of work, we figured out that actually we cannot uh, just uh, look at the cooperative housing as a solution to the unaffordability of housing, but we have to look at the bigger, uh, housing situation and try to connect various housing struggles. So people who are evicted, uh, people whose uh, former workers of certain companies who were housed in the property of these companies who are privatized and what happens with them, people who cannot afford to pay bills for, elect for electricity or for heating, who want to switch off of the central heating and what's happening with them and how the, big apartment buildings are organizing. So we organized an event which was called so-called so housing issue in 2015. And this was the start of, uh, of, of us, I mean, us triggering and also being part of a various housing uh, movements and struggles. So in 2017, we have been uh, as Cogradigrad also uh, co-initiators of, of a new uh, group, which is called um, uh, collective action roof above one's head, 
which uh, it became like a very strong anti-eviction movement. And later on uh, in 2019 or something that is called the movement and from last year called movement for housing equality with five other organizations. So we see this housing struggle, let's say much bigger than just the cooperatives and the need to really raise awareness on one hand uh, of, uh, of the fact that market is not the only way to uh, provide and resolve uh, housing. And maybe just to give some figures which are important to understand the severity of, of the situation in, in uh, Serbia, 98% of housing is private. About 1% is uh, publicly own, owned. Uh, and uh, part of that is social housing. Uh, while there is much, much bigger need, uh, according to uh, documents that the ministry, which is dealing with housing, uh, provides about 70% of people are in need of some housing support, either being uh, social housing uh, or some kind of financial support to uh, provide uh, provided for them affordable uh, situation. Only 10% can afford a, a loan. Um, credit uh, to buy an apartment while basically market is the only way uh, or the, is the only, except if you, uh, let's say, inherit something, uh, have that luck to inherit something, then buying an apartment is the only way to get to it. So to, when you put these figures together, you understand that almost everyone needs some kind of, of uh, support to resolve their housing needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah like 90%, yes. <laughs> yeah. but then 98% of the housing is private. And so is there a lot of private rental available? There is uh, like 14% uh, is rental uh, of these 98%. So there, that is rented, but mainly the, rent, the people who are renting are small owners. Like uh, they have one apartment where they live and then they rent another one. Uh, but more recently, in the last few years, there has been a big boom of, uh, of an real estate. And uh, there, uh, another interesting figure is that only 5% of uh, population buys actually uh, the apartments that are produced. And 84% of that is bought in cash, which means that these apartments are not really uh, there for living. Uh, but they are just like a uh, parking money, laundering money. Um, yeah, if they're buying cash, they're laundering money for sure. Exactly. <laughs> so you understand, and there is a huge construction boom right now, but you understand that all that land is wasted basically to produce uh, this uh, uh, possibility for some people to launch their money and to park their, their money uh, and that it does not actually reach those who are really in need. Well, that, that is corruption to the nth degree for sure. Yeah. So you're an architect. You've been an architect for over 20 years, I believe. Um, and you believe in the right to the city, the urban commons and collective forms of housing. Um, have you seen a shift in how architects approach housing compared to you know, when you started 20 years ago? I think that there is an interesting shift. I cannot say that it is majority of architects, but I can say that there is a certain group of architects who are, uh, let's say, opening up new perspectives. Uh, and I'm glad that we are without practice also falling into this group and are part of this, uh, part of this group. Um, there has been a growing interest in, uh, and I can say also from the perspective of Serbia, uh, although there is no possibility for people to practice that there is a growing interest uh, for, uh, for being part of some change or, or providing their, uh, let's say, uh, labor for some, something else. And what was interesting for us when we started Kogradi Grad, uh, actually, when we opened the, the, the housing uh, topic, it was with an ad. Uh, in the end of 2012, and the ad was calling for people to collect to join forces to reinvent what this uh, affordable collective housing could be. And there were about 40 people that appeared on this uh, first meeting. We majority of people we didn't know who they are, 
and one third appeared uh, were architects. So these were people who were who are in their daily practice actually designing and mainly designing these real estate uh, uh, things that I was just talking about, but actually are looking for a way out. And another interesting maybe piece of data is that we had for the first time uh, uh, this spring, we had a call that we wanted to employ someone in our team. So far, we had no possibility to do that. We mostly are, have been working just uh, three or four of us uh, with small grants, but this time for the first time we could employ someone and about 20 people applied for, uh, for this position, uh, although we were not looking for architects, majority were architects. And uh, so people are really looking for a way to make, to, to give meaning to their work and uh, what they do in their daily jobs uh, is not providing that they're actually, they're completely schizophrenic because they would like to be out of it, but that's the only thing that uh, gives them possibility to earn income. So, yeah. And yeah, on the other the hand- The only possibility to, to qualify for that mortgage loan. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's a vicious circle. Exactly. So you yeah. somehow have to find a way also for the profession to get out of it. And uh, in the Netherlands, I can say maybe situation is a little bit better because there is still a considerable uh, amount of social housing and there is a need for renewal of the social housing uh, fund. Although uh, the proportion, let's say, of social housing in the Netherlands has been in the last 30, 40 years completely switched from before 70% social housing, 30% private. Now it's completely the opposite. So now it's 70% private and 30% social. So there is also a big sellout of uh, social housing uh, properties and also for big players who come and buy uh, huge chunks of this uh, former social housing uh, apartments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good segue to my next question. Um, so you also founded Stad in the Mac, which is a city in the making in 2012 to manage the toxic assets of stranded Dutch welfare housing. So Stad in the Mac is described as an international community that changes every week as people check in or fly out. The goal is ultimately to buy buildings and take them out of the speculative market in order to make space for a new way of cooperative living and working. So what, what's the current status of, of this initiative? Yeah, this is, an, uh, this is really interesting. I mean, all this, this is interesting story, but uh, starting the Mac is interesting for us because it is, or for me, because it is a project in which we have managed to get to that material side of things. While Kogradigrad is still developing its concept uh, with starting the Mac, we very quickly dived into really practical side of organizing. And we had a, a, a luck and possibility to uh, start from two, um, let's say abandoned, I would say, or uh, neglected, uh, uh, buildings that were bought by a social housing uh, organization. They bought them just at the verge of, uh, of a, a global financial crisis somewhere in 2008, 2009, only to realize a year later that actually their financial situation is so bad that they cannot imagine that in 10 years time, they will be able to renovate them or to build something new at this spot. And uh, we have uh, heard about this project through research of an architectural uh, and in the uh, architectural and design offices from Rotterdam, um, which have been doing a research of what to do with these two buildings. And uh, once the research was done, basically it was a question like, it probably they would have been boarded up. And a friend of ours uh, came in and uh, invited us, Mark and me, to join. And that's how the city in the making together with another friend who was at that time uh, closing his uh, position as a director of the first and the largest uh, architecture platform, uh, web platform in the Netherlands. So four of us, we joined forces. And we figured out that maybe with a bit of luck, we could start to use these buildings very quickly. Uh, and that started in 2014 uh, with the idea that these buildings, these first two buildings would be uh, 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 for 10 years for free uh, delivered to city in the making 
to make in them something good for the neighborhood. That was literally what was standing in the contract. And we decided to split them in a housing part, which is a floors above and the ground floors, which would be commons that would be used for free, not just that by people that live there, but also initiatives from the neighborhood of various groups that could use them for, for free. And that would be in a way covered by partially by the, by the small uh, rent, which was uh, paid for the spaces above. Uh, and now, now we are almost, uh, we are, uh, let's say six, seven years, uh, seven years later. And uh, these uh, first two buildings are still in use, uh, going strong. <laughs> Meanwhile, we had a bunch of other buildings that were for a, a certain period of time, a part of city in the making. There is at the moment still other three in use with various users, some of them living for five years in a one spot or using the spaces as their office or, or, a, or a studio spaces. Uh, and, um, Another project which was there uh, until this spring for, for two and a half years, uh, there was a pension Almonde, uh, which was uh, a very big pro project, uh, about 54, I as I believe, apartments that were uh, uh, an attempt to create uh, for a very short period, a very active community with the, again, same principle of, of housing above and the apartments under. Uh, and this was a very interesting also because there was a governance model which was developed through it, where uh, people that lived there and that used uh, the ground floors were very active in, in uh, actually managing and governing the, the whole project. And we knew that this project is over and already almost from the very beginning, we were aiming at uh, permanent locations because we realized that as the crisis, the financial crisis was fading away, although we don't know now what is coming, but as that financial crisis was fading away, that most likely this possibility to use this, uh, uh, these spaces uh, on a temporary basis will also, uh, also fade away. And we started to look for these permanent uh, locations. We made so far uh, five attempts to buy uh, properties but we could really not compete on the very competitive housing market because this is so social housing or even public uh, properties are sold for the uh, highest bid. And very recently, only very recently, uh, the city of Rotterdam decided to uh, introduce uh, a kind of uh, support to new cooperative forms of living and what is happening at the moment is that there is, uh, uh, and I hopefully hope it will work, there is an attempt to make five pilot projects, and we hope to be one of these five uh, pilot projects. And uh, what is also really interesting is that this time uh, we are trying to buy a block of houses. It's a 21 apartment in which we, Mark and me, are actually living. This is our living space where we have been for 20 years. Uh, it is an association which has an interesting history. Uh, the, the association has uh, in 2000 received the status of self-managing uh, housing initiative. And that meant that this uh, block was in the public property, uh, the city and the previous owner, which was a social uh, housing organization, were not maintaining these buildings because they were in a demolition list for a very long time. But then plans changed. The buildings were in very bad status and people that were living there at that point, we also moved in in 2000, were demanding that the city as it's not, not doing anything, delivers this on a governance to, to the inhabitants there. And this really happened in 2000. It was a very important, I think, step and one of the few projects like this in Rotterdam. And um, uh, this period was for 10 years and then the, the period expired like 11 years ago and we were somehow forgotten uh, only to find ourselves now in 2021 surrounded by quite a yap hip neighborhood because a lot of transformation happened and then the city decided that actually they want to sell this property and now we are fighting actually for it to become one of these five uh, projects or five pilot projects for the new cooperative forms of living and I have to say that it is tough and that we don't know how it will go just tomorrow there is a negotiation with the city about this 
And all of this in light of, maybe I would just like to put this in the light of heavy criticism that the UN reporter on housing rights actually made on the city of Rotterdam this year. And you can find this document was a very, uh, critical on the on the Rotterdam housing policy and violation on human rights in one particular neighborhood was the focus of it, but where they actually decided to demolish social housing um, in place of giving uh, much, let's say, more expensive uh, space, but much more expensive uh, housing without really providing uh, appropriate solution for the people that have been living there. So this is the this is again like a context which is important to have in mind when we speak about our attempt as well. So you're you're kind of a modern city nomad yourself. You're so you're living between Rotterdam and and Belgrade. Yeah, we try, but Corona in some way, uh, COVID crisis uh, made us more stick to one place more than than what we were hoping for. <laughs> We spend in Belgrade most of the time, but usually the idea is that we are half one, half the other. Mm, okay. So I have to say that we have been marking me quite, uh, uh, let's say, physically absent from, from Rotterdam and also more like from a distance being part of these new, new de developments and attempts. So to continue along the list of uh, organizations that uh, you've helped uh, found, uh, in 2019, you co-founded Pametnia Zgrada, which also means smarter building, the first housing cooperative established in Belgrade in 20 years. Um, it's centered around a cooperative of inhabitants that collectively develop, build, finance, maintain, and operate a multi-apartment building. So, um, so is this is this where you're living in when you're in Belgrade? No, this is not where I'm living. Pometnia's God actually has not yet developed a project. Oh, okay, okay. But what is? Uh, we have started in 2019, and this is, has been directly a result of the work of Kogradigrad. Uh, so the people of Kogradigrad decided instead of just like speaking about uh, cooperative uh, development and developing a model to actually set up a cooperative themselves or ourselves. And uh, uh, in 2019, uh, six of us have uh, uh, registered the first uh, housing cooperative in almost 20 uh, years. And um, this, uh, maybe it's interesting to say that the housing cooperatives have been active in Serbia until 2004, five, let's say active. And that is the time when uh, the support for housing cooperatives has stopped. And uh, until that point, uh, there was a possibility to get uh, a land under specific easier conditions to get also to uh, materials with a certain reduction in price, uh, some support in getting infrastructure prepared for the projects. And from that moment, all of these possibilities have been canceled. So housing cooperatives from that moment uh, were pushed to behave like any other market developer. And that is the reason why housing cooperatives have actually faded out. And some of those that still exist are actually still living on, uh, let's say, uh, selling to private owners the apartments that they have. Because the original uh, cooperative model in uh, Serbia or in Yugoslavia was the one where people joined forces through cooperative to develop, develop a project. And then once they pay their uh, part of the mortgage, to the cooperative, they are become private owners of the apartments. And we want to make a difference to this. I mean, we want to make a different model, which is not based on, uh, on uh, individual ownership of apartments, but where the ownership is collective and actually the property stay non-speculative uh, for the duration of the existence of the, of the building and not just for the first, but for all the other um, generations. And in the beginning, the idea, our idea was that we would start the project ourselves and then let's say invite people to join us. But what is interesting is that this year uh, we have been approached by two uh, groups who are interested in the model <coughs> that we propose and would like to develop it with us. And uh, one of them is a 
starts uh, from an association which is called Intergenerational uh, Volunteer Center. Um, uh, both organizations are from Belgrade and they are a group of seniors who are interested in developing collective housing for uh, seniors or actually now we are pushing it more in the direction of intergenerational housing. And uh, we have been really excited that there is a group which is for four years thinking about it and we even didn't know about them and they're in Belgrade. Uh, and we have just like uh, three weeks ago, we had a workshop in a village outside of Belgrade where we have been spent five days in uh, setting up the, let's say the program of what would be the program of this project. And as, as we speak now, there are interviews uh, going on with people interested to live in this project. So that is very interesting. And another group is uh, partially our members of, of Pametnes Grad and of Kogradi Grad. One of our members uh, is a part of another collective which is uh, related to a particular neighborhood. It's one of these informal neighborhoods with a lot of informal construction that happened in the last 20, 30 years. And uh, it's, a, it's a quite segregated area with a, with a local school to which now uh, the only pupils are Roma kids. And uh, they work, uh, this collective works with these children and uh, uses, uh, let's say, the example of the school as a public space to generate very different kind of, uh, let's say, dynamics in the neighborhood and to uh, somehow try to push this segregation uh, out. And they would like to construct the housing uh, and the social center, let's say, as a combination of housing and social center in this area. And this is very interesting also. And we have just uh, recently came uh, or, or found a, a plot of land that would be perfect for, for the development. And now are figuring out actually, because we very quickly have to uh, find finance to pay 10% of this money and to book it, let's say, for a year so that in one year we can buy it completely. So it's it's very exciting and interesting period uh, at the moment. Oh, well, that's a great development. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, it's tough, but uh, I, I'm really hopeful. Uh, and and it's interesting that there are people who are interested to push for, for this and the initiative is not necessarily coming just from us. I mean, they heard and or knew, one group of course knew about our, uh, uh, let's say model, but the other one was somehow on the edge of it, knew uh, a bit about it and was going its own way. And I think it's now really great that we're coming together. So, uh, you know, the Pamet Nija Zgrada means smarter building. So you, you described the, you know, the organizational side of things and, and you know, more of the, the community led aspect. Is there like the, a physical aspect of the smarter building yes, label yes. as well? <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a sort of a joke in the beginning when we started to use this name because uh, we wanted to somehow point because the, at that point the the or at the, we started to use the term uh, smarter building already from 2012 when we uh, had this ad uh, invitation for people to join forces to 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 think of a collective way of, of, of organizing affordable housing. And at that time, there was a, like this term of smart build, smart house or smart, smart building uh, coming up. And we wanted somehow to point that this energy efficiency and uh, let's say the um, resources are very important the material side of it, but that uh, this social aspect is adds to it this smarter <laughs> side. So that both uh, elements are very important. And also in our uh, model, uh, the energy efficiency and energy production are actually important, not just for the fact that it is good for the environment, but also for the fact that on long term, it provides affordability. Nice. So now we're gonna move on to talk about MOBA, which is how I met you. <laughs> was through MOBA. Uh, so you're also a founding member uh, of this organization, which is a European cooperative housing society, the first housing cooperative in, in Europe to go beyond individual country borders, correct? 
I didn't know this. <laughs> <If Well>. I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm making it up. <laughs> um, and since all the members of MOVA were struggling with housing problems, uh, you came together to work as a collective, just as you were, you, you were explaining with, with all the other collectives. Um, you know, rather than solving these problems, you know, individually, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a better approach to, to come at it uh, on a collective basis. Um, so can you describe to us how, um, how MOBA came about and, and who is part of it? Yes, sure. Um, MOBA came about in 2017, uh, somewhere this, actually October 2017, there was an event in Berlin called, called, uh, oh, called Exper Experiment Days. And it was an event of uh, community-led housing um, organized by already established organizations that are have let's say projects uh, of community-led housing all across I think I believe Europe, and uh, we have got invitation uh, of Urban from outside of Urbamond to join this um, as co-grade grade and at that time not yet registered for maintenance grade but as initiative of in, initiative uh, to start up cooperative housing in Belgrade and there were a number of organizations from eastern central and eastern southeastern Europe that were invited to come there and uh, some of them we knew and some of them we didn't and we were very excited to go there but what was even more exciting is that the exchange that we had before this event uh, the organizers were asking, like, what is that if we are organizing a panel where you guys would be, what is that, that you would like to uh, bring up? And uh, all the organizations that were there were pioneers, or we were all pioneers in our own context. So we are the first organizations of our kind in each of these contexts. And we were all so far uh, looking at examples from mainly from, from Western Europe. Um, and uh, no really peers in our own context in the former uh, socialist countries where there was a very different system, a provision of housing, also financing institutions are different. Um, there is uh, much also uh, in some way lost uh, uh, trust in the, in the collectives and cooperatives. And uh, these, let's say, examples from, from, let's say, Western Europe uh, or Northern Europe where good, but somehow not comparable for us. And uh, one of the things that we all realized is that maybe we can even push and create a critical mass and maybe find people that are interested to build pilot projects and stuff like that. But what we had the difficulty is to find finance for, for uh, our projects. And I mean, I can say on the example of Serbia, we don't have a cooperative uh, uh, bank or ethical bank uh, there are no even uh, credit unions. Uh, they have also been uh, discarded by the state by the same acts, like in 2004, 2005, uh, legally abandoned, actually, the, the cooperative unions. Uh, uh, yeah, like, uh, you, how do you say, the saving unions, cooperative unions. And uh, so there are no natural financial partners for housing cooperatives. And then if you go to... Uh, classical commercial banks. These are mainly foreign banks, which are now operating in all of our countries and actually the same banks which operate in all of our countries, but they have no understanding for cooperatives. And, uh, and, and we started to, that, that was the panel that we had in Berlin, started to discuss this financial situation. And we very quickly understood that this is really something that we can tackle together and that our small initiatives, individual initiatives in our local context are not enough. And, and uh, I think it was just after these two panels that were there, we had 45 minutes gathering in one of the cubicles that was there at this event. And we really decided that we have to work together. And very quickly, we managed to also gather some uh, resources from Fund Action, which is an interesting activist, uh, uh, activist fund where activists decide on whom are the funds given to. So we applied as this, not yet MOBA, but as this uh, group of, of uh, starting housing cooperatives from our region. And we got the first 5,000 euro, I think. And we mainly use it to meet 
and we have been very active uh, like meeting very often and actually spent whole 2018 and 19 to uh, to shape uh, MOBA, to shape who we are, what we would like to achieve. And in the beginning of 2020, we have uh, registered a European Cooperative Society. And uh, it certainly was the first European Cooperative Society in Croatia. Um, uh, we registered ourselves there because in Croatia, there was a possibility to uh, have a housing cooperative as non-for-profit organization, which was important for us for the reason that we both wanted to manage, uh, let's say, uh, uh, donations on one hand and also other forms of, of financing. And the idea of this organization is also not to make profit of any kind. So we managed to do that. And uh, another interesting and important uh, step has been that uh, this year we started a mobile housing development fund. And this uh, is, uh, has been a very, uh, let's say fundamental step in, in uh, what, we are, what we are about and what we are doing. So, is, um, so this development fund is being funded, how? And that is an interesting point. The, the fund, so the, the, the establishment of European Cooperative Society has been financed, uh, financed partially by the same fund action, this activist fund. So the next step uh, we made is to, uh, to apply to this activist community with the idea to uh, really establish an organization which they greatly supported and uh, because the European Cooperative Society uh, is based on shares, so we had to, to, let's say, put these initial shares into the organization. And then the next step, uh, we applied to ABZ, Solidarity Fund, to establish the MOBA uh, Housing Development Fund itself. And uh, that we received this uh, 30,000 Swiss francs, and a big chunk of this is actually used to start up uh, the fund. And uh, uh, this June, we have decided to uh, split this uh, money to two pilot projects. The one is in Budapest, where the second uh, group is to establish a cooperative housing uh, and in Prague. So this money has been it's for one and a half year for uh, for them to for initial to, to buy uh, Two existing buildings actually renovate them to um, to these uh, communities. Wow, that's amazing! And just a few years ago, MOBA didn't even exist, and and now you're you're allocating money to yes. other fledgling co-ops. Yes, and we really uh, we, what we, what is really great is that. Uh, we have found with ABZ uh, great support from ABZ, and we think that really in this first initial phase. The fund can really greatly profit for, from well-established uh, uh, cooperative housing cooperatives from 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 other parts of Europe or maybe elsewhere from the world, um, not just as donations but maybe even as investments, uh, because we need this fund really to grow and to support uh, the pioneering cooperatives in our regions. So, in order to have a stepping stone to addressing the commercial banks and other sources of finance. So what we are at this point looking for is that through this uh, fund, we can address, let's say, 20 to 30% of investment into the pilot projects in our region. And then that, we, that this is a guarantee, let's say, to address other sources of finance. And, and just to clarify to our listeners, uh, ABZ is uh, one of the largest housing cooperative organizations in, in Zurich. And uh, they have a solidarity fund that they they allocate funds to uh, different applicants from all over the world uh, for different reasons. And this is a fund that is funded by um, by their members. You know, the, the members uh, yes. all will you know they all contribute a small amount, and uh, every year they get together and decide on on how to allocate the the money. I have to say, maybe just to mention, because it's also really uh, interesting and important that Pametnias uh, Grada, we in Belgrade also got uh, support, financial support of WBG, 
which is umbrella organization of housing cooperatives of, of I think of Switzerland, uh, also for the pilot project in Belgrade. There are actually now two pilot projects in Belgrade, which is a great, I mean, it, which is, has been a great support. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's great to see uh, all the cooperation happening between cooperatives. Uh, and, and you're also supported by the Cooperative uh, for Ethical Financing. Cooperative for Ethical Financing is a, is a member of MOBA. So, so maybe what is important, yes, I didn't mention who are members. So MOBA members are, uh, four founding members are Zadrugator, uh, which is a co housing cooperative from Ljubljana, Pometnija uh, Zgrada from Belgrade, uh, a cooperative open architecture from Zagreb, and Prvni uh, Vlaštovka uh, from Prague. And uh, also Zuglo House from uh, Budapest uh, is the fifth one. And uh, we have, a so the, we, these are full members, governing members, let's say. And then we have three associate members. And we're also, of course, open to other <laughs> members, um, in, both in terms of uh, organizations that are supporting MOBA and this, uh, and of course the full members, meaning primarily uh, housing cooperatives or initiatives that are on the way to become housing cooperatives. Um, and the uh, associate members are Urban Mond, uh, World Habitat, and uh, Cooperative for Ethical Finance. And Cooperative for Ethical Finance is a Croatian-based uh, cooperative, which is, has been primarily established to uh, start the first ethical uh, cooperative ethical bank in uh, Croatia. They have come to a lot of obstacles uh, from the national bank and are now on the way of establishing actually international uh, cooperative ethical bank on the European level together with a number of other organizations, which is quite interesting. And uh, th their uh, abbreviation is ZEF. So ZEF has been a very important uh, for MOBA because they have encouraged us to make important steps in thinking of being financially intermediary, starting a fund, uh, thinking of mobilizing also larger European funds uh, under the MOBA umbrella. So I guess that we would not be able to think that far if there was no ZEF. <laughs> in, with us from, from the very beginning, literally from that first meeting in Berlin. Yeah, well, there's the advantage of, of having a collective, you know, you're, you're, all the great minds are contributing to a much better solution. You also have uh, some resources that, that you've developed, one of them being the financial review model toolkit that is on the MOBA website. Yes. Uh, it tells you how much it costs to develop a multi-unit dwelling or building and, and what, the re you know, what revenues the co-op needs. So how, how has this tool helped uh, MOBA members and, and others? This has been an important tool really from, uh, from the moment that we made it. I think it was 2019 or 18 already in the making in 2019. Uh, this has helped us actually to make a common portfolio and to uh, compare our projects financially and also how far is each of the projects in development. So it is a tool which can help to very quickly assess or depends on how much information you have, but it can help to very quickly assess the, the financial size of the project and also uh, help us to make a common portfolio where we could, let's say, use the, the same, same structure of data and with that, let's say, package our projects when we speak with the bigger financiers and things like this. Yeah, that's um, yeah. Having having that information is uh, you know the stepping stone to to getting the finance. So exactly that, that you did that. All right, so we're going to move away from housing and move on to energy, which you know which <laughs> provides energy to to homes. So you're also the founder of the energy cooperative Electro Pioneer in, in Belgrade, which is a pioneer energy prosumer uh, in Serbia. Uh, and prosumer being, you know, one, one of those uh, terms that, uh, you know, really turns the, the you know, the, the, the term consumer around, you know, which is basically, um, you know, so you're switching it to the producer's of electricity uh, for their own consumption. 
So the co-op is aiming to produce its own electricity through solar panels installed on, on rooftops. So tell me how this came about. What was the catalyst to starting an energy cooperative? I can say that this has been not really accidental, but um, more or less uh, something that happened by a chain of, of events. <laughs> Um, me and my partner, we have when we ha we have made an, our own apartment in Belgrade, and uh, on top of our and on top of my parents' house. And uh, when we have uh, made this, we have been thinking, okay, uh, we try to be as much as energy efficient to follow the standard of passive house, and um, then we thought that we could also uh, produce energy and. Um, Following, following things that have been uh, possible in the Netherlands, we thought, okay, it's easy. We just install our solar panels on our roof and we feed the surplus energy into the net and that's it. But it turned out to be quite complex and complicated uh, um, that actually it is impossible. Uh, so our first attempt to uh, become prosumer was in 2016. It didn't work out. We had to limit our uh, use of this energy and only consume actually 23% of what this small solar power, power plant can produce and the rest basically uh, just cut off. And we thought this is crazy. Why is, why is it like this? And once we realized that, uh, that no one is really uh, doing something about it, we started decided to go into public with this story. And this story became at some point really viral with uh, many, there was one particular video where I was explaining the situation which has been seen by, I think by now almost half a million people. And, uh, and then uh, in, this, in this video, I was mentioning that maybe one of the ways to, to deal with this situation is to organize into energy cooperative because the legal body could be representative for individual households to somehow sell or deal somehow with the surplus energy. And this has been seen as a call by some people. So they started to approach us. Uh, and uh, by the summer of 2019, we started to speak with a few people which we never met before. And by the end of 2019, we have established the energy cooperative, Electro Pioneer. Um, and today we are, we don't yet produce because the legal framework has been very tough on us uh, until recently. And I have to say that few weeks ago, uh, household, since few weeks ago, households could actually become prosumers in Serbia. So what we are uh, working on, one thing was of course to somehow shape the, the possibility for this. And we have been quite active in the legal procedures to make this possible. And the other thing is that we would like to be a corporate that connects these uh, individual households on the longer term. But on the other hand, also we would like to uh, create a larger power plants uh, which are financed by citizens. And uh, we, we are, uh, there are two uh, energy cooperatives in Serbia today. And what is, I think, really interesting is that especially now, I don't know what's going on, but these last days we have been approached by four or five different organizations on how we can uh, work together. Should, would we like to be part of this or that? Uh, so now we really have to see which of all this stuff we can do. But one of the interesting things that we are doing and are now preparing is a course uh, for uh, people to find their easier way than actually to not to go through the same trouble that we did <laughs> during the last five years. And the course is called Solar Technique to the People. So it tells by itself who for whom it is. Oh, that's fantastic. So are, you, are there any discussions of, of founding a, a MOBA for energy cooperatives? Actually, there is a MOBA for energy cooperatives and very successful one on European level. There is RESCOP, uh, which is umbrella corporate uh, umbrella organization of 1,900 co uh, energy cooperatives and over uh, 1,250,000 members. And I have to say that we are very proud to be the first member of uh, RESCOP uh, from Serbia. And I think the 
second or third from the Balkans. Okay, you're not quite the first. <laughs> no, but what is interesting is that uh, energy, uh, so we have been at the assembly of Rescope, uh, I think I believe it was in May this year, and uh, we have been mentioning to them that there is a really great potential of connecting housing cooperatives and energy cooperatives. And that has not yet been done. And I think that this could be really something to pick up maybe with CHI and MOBA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're, we're doing a session at uh, the International Cooperative Alliance World Congress in, uh, in Seoul in December. And we're doing a session on uh, exactly that, you know, housing yeah. energy cooperatives and, and housing cooperatives. And, and there's very, very little synergies, uh, you know, between the, those two sectors. And, and there's so much potential. So, um, so yeah, so hopefully that'll be the, that'll be the catalyst. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're hoping to, to go very big with, with, uh, with Electro Pioneer, like you're, you have visions of investing in, in larger solar panels uh, on, on, on roofs uh, all over the country. Uh, yes, uh, on, on roofs and not only on roofs, we will see where all is possible. But uh, yeah, we, we are looking, uh, yeah, looking forward to this collective investment as well. And uh, I believe that this uh, individual production will now get easier with the frame, legal framework. But this collective production is still a challenge and it's um, uncertain how that will, how that will go. Well, uh, thank you uh, for, for sharing uh, all of these stories. Thanks a lot. This was really nice and fun and uh, great questions. And you really spent a lot of time to find out about all these things. <laughs> so enjoy the rest of your, of your time on the Adriatic Sea uh, on your island and, uh, and hope to see you again. All right. Thanks again, Anna. Take care. Thank you. Bye. you for listening to this latest episode of Co-op Conversations. We hope that it provided a better understanding of how the cooperative housing model offers a better solution than market-driven housing. If you're interested in finding out more, you can visit us at housinginternational.coop. We feature many stories and resources on our website with useful tools, studies, and articles on topics ranging from governance to finance to sustainability. You can also find us on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, where we like to share stories and good practices of co-op housing around the world. If you want to find a housing co-op in your region, I suggest that you do an online search for co-op housing along with the name of your city, and hopefully something will come up. <laughs>